0: eagles entertainment
1: with the 15th pick in the nfl draft the philadelphia eagles select
0: you're listening to the journey to the draft podcast
1: Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and today we're going to preview the linebacker position here for the 2022 NFL Draft. And we're going to do that with Draft Buzz, where Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel, and I we're going to go through the entire class of linebackers, all the different superlatives, all the different areas of the draft. We're going to break it down. A bunch of prospects, dozens of names coming your way here in the next hour. Uh, then we're going to get into our on the clock segment, where uh, again, Ben, Dane, and I we're going to pick three players for three teams at three positions, at three random parts of the draft. One of my favorite exercises that we do on a weekly basis here on the show. And then we're going to wrap things up with our draft mailbag. A couple of good questions there uh, from you guys at the end of the show. And the best way to get to us here for that segment Head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you can leave one of those ratings and one of those comments. Really appreciate everybody that has thrown us your support here in recent weeks. We've been getting constant reviews, constant questions and mock drafts and big boards and rankings and prospect questions. Really appreciate everybody that has gone on and left that rating, left that comment. It really helps us uh, make the show more available to others that are looking for NFL Draft Podcasts. That said, uh, let's get going here. I'm excited to talk through linebackers today. It's time for Draft Buzz.
0: Now it's time for Draft Buzz.
1: All right. Let's start things off here with draft buzz. I welcome in Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel, and guys. Before we get into our linebacker preview, some uh, quick news from over the last few days, and it's actually linebacker related. Uh, Damone Clark, linebacker from LSU. Uh, it was announced, I believe, on Friday uh, he, he was going to have to undergo surgery. Apparently, uh, at the combine, it was found, found out that he had a herniated disc in his back, uh, and now he's going to got to have he has to get spinal fusion surgery, uh, which may cost him uh, his rookie season. Obviously, that's still up in the air uh, at this point. But regardless. Uh, getting surgery on his back, uh, and that will cost him a few months here. So, Dane, real quickly, uh, my understanding was Clark was probably in that early day two range. I, to me, like a guy that was going to go higher than a lot of people thought. How do you feel like this affects his draft stock? Uh, where did you see him before the surgery?
0: Yeah, I think day two is uh, it's very fair. Um, probably somewhere between the fourth and sixth or seventh linebacker drafted. Yeah. Uh, but now it's, it's, it's tough uh, with an injury like this, that's going to sideline you. And you just, you don't know, everybody is different, right. And how they respond to such a serious injury. Uh, when you're talking about a, a spinal cord, um, it, it, it's, it, it's tough. I don't, there, there is a realistic scenario where he goes undrafted. Um now uh, you can see a team using a late round pick on him to the stash, and you know, he, hopefully he comes back stronger than ever. And but we're talking about and it's also different, a little bit different than say like a Justin Ross who uh, played receiver, who yeah, trust, it, you're gonna get tackled, obviously, as a receiver, but as a linebacker where you're taking so much contact every single game, and you just you do worry about uh, and especially a guy like Damone Clark, who is you know he's a hammer looking for a, a nail. I mean that, that's how he plays, and so you do worry about okay if, if he pl- still plays at that same level. Uh, you know is he gonna get injured again, or is there a, a worry of that, or even if if it mentally can he play at that same level again? Uh, again uh, with knowing that he had this injury, so a lot of question marks that I, I think that teams are trying to grapple with right now to figure out where to put him on the draft board and where they'd feel comfortable drafting him, if they would feel comfortable drafting him.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I think that when you look at the linebacker depth overall, uh, I do feel like by the time you get to the late part of the draft, it does kind of dry up a little bit. So I wonder if he'll, uh, if that kind of helps him in terms of hearing his name called before the end of draft weekend. But uh, it's, it's it's just tough. You hate seeing news like that. Obviously, one of the more talented players uh, in this class and uh, a guy that we would have talked about extensively here in this episode. But that being said, uh, let's get into this linebacker preview. And again, uh, we're just going to kind of go superlative by superlative, go category by category here. Dane, you and I are going to hit on some of the day one and day two options. Ben, uh, you're going to hit us with some of those sleepers there uh, when we get to day three, the guys that we need to know when we get to Saturday uh, of draft weekend. Real quickly, before we start, over the last decade, the average number of linebackers drafted every year, just under 25, uh, and that number has been climbing in recent years. It was 32 in 2018. uh, There was 27 in 2020. There was 25 last year. So you get a sense of just about how many of these guys are going off the board every single season. Again, like I mentioned, over the last like three, four years, it's been higher than that 10 year average average. So uh, we could see anywhere, you know, 25, 26, 27 of these players uh, that we're going to talk about here today, uh, hear their name called when we get to draft weekend. That said, uh, let's go with this first category, and it's going to be the best combo skill set. Who presents the best blend of being able to defend the run and also cover in the pass game? And that's the obviously what you're looking for in a pure three-down player. Uh, Dane, I'll come to you first. Who's a guy that you feel day one, day two presents that best combo skill set?
0: Got to go with Devin Lloyd here out of Utah. Um, All you have to do is look at his final stat line from this year. Had over 100 tackles. He had 22 tackles for loss, second best in the nation. Uh, Oh, yeah, and pass coverage, double-digit, passes defended, and four interceptions. So he made plays in every direction, against a run, against a pass. He is a former high school safety, so he has that experience. He's very comfortable dropping in space. Uh, and, and playing, uh, in coverage, but he's also explosive where he can play downhill and he has the range. He has, uh, the ability to work inside. So with Devin Lloyd, you're, you're getting a little bit of everything. And I mean, heck, let, let's not limit it to three downs. Let's throw in four downs. He's, uh, he had over 500 special team snaps as well. So Devin Lloyd can do a little bit of everything.
1: Yeah, I would say that most people know about Devin Lloyd and the skill set he presents. And one guy that we've also talked a lot about on this show is Georgia linebacker Quay Walker at 6'3 and 3 quarters, 241 pounds, just under 33 inch long arms. Uh, This is a guy with the body type you're looking for in today's league, but he doesn't give up. Athleticism when you get that size. This is a guy who ran 4.52 at the combine, which again, at 240 pounds, that's an impressive number. You look at the rest of the athletic testing, it's all pretty good. And again, at that size, that's what makes him such an intriguing option. Uh, He can play in space, a really good athlete, uh, a guy that's really light on his feet. He can move laterally. He can close distance. He eats up grass really, really well. He's got excellent range, covers a ton of ground, and also just handles contact really, really well. So when you talk about a guy that can defeat blocks in the run game, play in space in the pass game, uh, he was an edge rusher coming out of high school. They transitioned him to more of an off-ball role, so it took him a little bit of time uh, to be able to get there. But talking about a player that could man up on tight ends in the SEC, showed that ability to match routes and underneath zone coverage so he can offer some things there in the pass game and also was a really good blitzer as well, like you mentioned there with Devin Lloyd, Dane. So uh, Quay Walker, a guy we just talked about him last week uh, with Greg Cosell, and Greg kind of uh, wax poetic there on Quay. He's a player to know for certain when we get into the, the first couple of days uh, of the draft, but that said – yeah, friend, why
0: why why wouldn't he go in the first round? I mean, I yeah, I think no you're you're spot, you're spot on with what you said. I, I want you to tell me why he why he might not go in the first round.
1: So I would say that it's number one, you got 17 starts uh, over the course of his entire career. So did not play a ton. Uh, I think a lot of the people that w- have watched him over the course of his career would say, Oh, he's a little bit slow to trigger. You know, are the, is the, are the is the eye discipline where we would want that to be again, for a guy that's relatively new to the position and hasn't played a ton of ball. I would expect that. Uh, but then also the, the other aspect of that, you talked about the production that Devin Lloyd had and uh, you know, whether it's sack production, he had 15 and a half sacks, Quay Walker only had five. You look at ball disruptions, interceptions, and pass breakups. Devin Lloyd had 13. Quay Walker had three, right? So you're talking more about his traits and what he could be as opposed to what he has already done. But that's uh, some would say that's also the name of the draft. Right. So uh, what can a guy be moving forward? But Quay Walker, definitely an intriguing player. And I, I do understand the people uh, that you know are a little bit you know, further down the list on him. But uh, still uh, a really, really interesting talent. Uh, ben, uh, take us home here. Who's a, a guy on day three that you feel presents that same uh, combo skill set? I am going to go with Troy Anderson uh, out of Ooh, Montana, yep. who I have a third, fourth
2: round grade on sometimes. Kind of- Straddling the day two, day three there, but as far as being the best blend of a run defender and pass coverage defender, I just feel like his range, his length, uh his energy, his burst, the ball skills. He's such a loose athlete. I mean, in the run game, his ability to fill gaps, take on blocks, play off blocks. He can scrape laterally. He can play in space when he's free and has free alleys to the ball carrier. And really good in coverage as well. His loose hips, the zone drops, good ball skills. A little clunky in some man-to-man stuff. I still think his instincts are raw, his play ideas raw, his play anticipation is raw. But as far as just having the skill set, the ability, the athleticism of being a run defender and going backwards in coverage, he has a lot of things to like. And was probably the top five standout performer at the combine back in India a few weeks ago. You know, being six three and a half, 243, running the four four two, which you see the flashes of his hundred meter, two hundred meter state championship uh, pedigree back in high school jumping 36 inches, 10-8 in the broad, checked a lot of boxes in shorts and a T-shirt, strong week at the Senior Bowl. Don't forget, this is a guy that's converting from offense a few years ago. So he's still kind of learning the position. So all those things about instincts and play ID and FBI, still kind of coming into his way there. But he has a lot of tools and athleticism that you really can't coach
1: a lot of reasons to think that his best football, his most productive football uh, could be ahead of him, and that's why a lot of people are really high on Troy Anderson. Uh, let's go to the next category here, guys, and that's the most instinctive. Who sees the game the best? Who plays the fastest and is always in the right position? Um, for me, I'm going to go back to the Mountain West Conference, uh, and I'm going to go to Chad Muma from Wyoming. 6'3", uh, 239 pounds, converted high school safety, made the move to linebacker, and has just been really productive over the last couple of years, especially this year. Uh, first-team All-Conference players in All- American finalist for the Buckus Awards, the top defender in college football. And when you look at the production, It matches up with the traits that you show up on film. This guy is always in position to be able to make plays. He tested really well out in Indianapolis. He had a good week in the senior bowl, all that. But when you talk just about his eye discipline, I think that he's got a really fast trigger. He sees things and he goes. His play recognition, you can see see him pointing things out pre snap. That's against the run and against the pass. You saw that in Mobile, honestly. There were plenty of plays where you saw him getting other guys lined up and him being the first at the football. Look, I mean, he ran 4.62. That's a fine number. He's not the fastest. Right. He's not the guy that you're going to say, oh, wow, look at his uh, blazing speed to get from point A to point B. That's not necessarily Muma. He is all about a playing through contact. So he's really efficient in where when he's getting from A to B, but also he's going to play fast because he just sees it so, so quickly. So uh, Chad Muma it looks like, you know, based off mock drafts, like kind of that early second round range, uh, we'll see exactly when he comes off the board. But he's my pick here for this category. Dane, uh, who do you like here for this one?
0: I will say Dean, um Dean out of Georgia, who is talk about key read flow skills. He, he's he got that. He sees things really well, explosive trigger. He's going to beat blockers to the spot. Um, he's, he's a missile in the run game. Uh, and I think it comes from his instincts, his ability to uh, understand what's going to happen and then hit it before uh, the offense could do anything about it. So, uh, and he's also really highly skilled as a blitzer. And part of that is, just this downhill speed but also part of it is uh, the timing uh you have to have a just a, a feel for that to get through that a gap uh with timing so you're you're doing it uh you're, you're getting free range of the quarterback so with with Dean, Dean, he has yet to run a 40 yet to work out um he's planning on working out april 13th. Um, but you know, I think teams, when they're talking about the Dean, it's not necessarily the athleticism yep. that they, they, you know, they you're focused on. It's more of what he does with his mind and the way his just play personality with the way he, he attacks downhill that gets you excited as a prospect.
1: Yeah. I think when you look at Dean, uh, the, the intangibles uh, aspect of it, uh, that's going to be the driving force there with his draft slot. Uh, Ben, how about you? Uh, most instinctive guy when we get to day three. Most instinctive linebacker
2: day three. I don't know if this is going to be a surprise or not, but I'm going to go with Jeremiah Gemmel out of North Carolina I Had his pro day today, as we're sitting here on a Monday afternoon recording here, this guy's an absolute film junkie. You could just see his anticipation, his play ID, his recognition, you know, him setting guys up pre-snap as well. Watch all the kind of tendency breakers or not tendency breakers, but just being aware of tendencies in games. It always seems to be a step ahead of the action. Watch that Notre Dame game, especially in short yardage stuff, seemed to always know where the ball was going to go. Really good in play action concepts as well and misdirection. Just seems like a guy that always knows where the ball is going. Maybe doesn't make every play, but is always in position. It just seems like he's that guy that's doing a lot of work from Sunday to Friday. And it really shows up on Saturday with how fast he can play and that he seems to always be in the right spots. I think he's a really good day three option, three-year starter at North Carolina, and that Mike will roll out there. North Carolina didn't have the great season as a team in 2021, and I feel like his stock really took a hit because of that. But Jeremiah Gemmel is a really good player.
1: Yeah, he's a player. I'm really glad, Ben, that you brought him up. because He's a guy, I feel like he's just underrated at this point. He was going to go to the senior bowl, injury prevented him from doing that. Same reason why we didn't see him work out uh, in Indianapolis. So uh, Gemmel uh, deserves a lot of praise. And I'm glad that you were here uh, to be able to give that to him. Let's get to the next category here: best coverage player, whether that's in man coverage against backs or tight ends or in zone coverage. Who do you feel like holds up best playing in reverse? Dane, I'll come to you first.
0: I'm going to go with a guy who I believe has a chance to go on day two. Um, And that's Jojo Doman from uh, Nebraska. Um, He's played that nickel role in that defense. So he was constantly put on an island in space and asked to drive on the football, asked to anticipate uh, passing lanes. Um, And he moves pretty well for a guy that's 230 pounds. That is pro day. He ran a, a six-eight-eight eight, three three-cone, which is outstanding for that size and that position. So uh, a guy that uh, is smooth in his coverage turns, um, has a good feel for you know what the offense is trying to do with their you know, different levels of routes and the combinations. I think, Doman, that's what's what you're drafting him for, is to be that, that nickel linebacker, that guy that can hold up in coverage, that can hold up in space um yeah kind of there's some similarities to Jabril Cox from last year coming out of LSU you you just you you trusted him out there so um Jojo Dome would be my pick here for coverage
1: I'm gonna go to uh Alabama where we're gonna talk about Christian Harris who uh, I think when you look at his profile uh, as a player who had never played linebacker before arriving in Tuscaloosa was forced into the lineup as a true freshman due to injuries on that defense uh has to step in week one Play for Nick Saban as a true as a true freshman middle linebacker, and he's able to do it at a high level. Like, yeah, that's a that's a nice uh, easy profile to be able to make a bet on, right? And Christian Harris, uh, at his size, you're talking about a guy that ran four four three at the combine, at six foot two hundred twenty six pounds, a little bit lighter than people thought. But this is a guy that, again, playing safety, he's got some of those coverage instincts, and that shows up whether he's playing man to man against the back and tight end, which he did in the in the SEC, or as a zone defender, he was really active in the hook curl area. He was able to clock up throwing lanes he really felt routes developing all around him and that's what to me uh the big thing that stood out to me about him is just his feel in coverage and for some reason i feel like he gets he gets kind of knocked for this guy i don't i'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure why um I, I don't know if he's if he's given up a lot of receptions or whatnot i would say that the the numbers from like Pff haven't necessarily pointed in that direction but uh christian harris to me in coverage uh he checks a lot of the boxes uh, that you're looking for so uh, i i would say he'd be my pick here for this category ben how about you for uh day three And he played in coverage a ton, despite a lot of splash plays as a blitzer and a
2: QB spy. He was about an 80 percent coverage guy as well. So he wasn't always coming forward just as a blitzer uh, like some of those other linebackers in this class. But on day three, I'm going to go with another one that may be a little bit of an eye opener to people. And that's DeMarco Jackson at Appalachian State. But you think six foot, 235? That's a little squatty to be a coverage player. This guy has exceptional length at nearly 80 inch wingspan, over 32 inch arms, ran 455, five, jumped 10 5 in the broad at the combine. He's a really, really good player. And you start kind of peeling back some layers to his tape and his profile. I mean, state champ in the discus, really good high school running back, really athletic profile, over 600 snaps and special teams. But guys, over the last three years in college football among linebackers, he is the most forced incompletions. He has tons of interceptions, tons of plays on the ball. I posted one this morning of flipping his hips and turning and running with Isaiah Likely down the seam. Might be the best playing coverage I've seen from a linebacker all class. He's a guy that I think reminds me a lot of Kenny Young coming out of UCLA. Similar height, weight, maybe not the height profile you would think of a coverage linebacker. He's not 6'3", or in that six one. you know, 235. But this guy can move. And when you start pulling back all those layers to his tape, he's a guy I want on my team. And he's a guy you want to fill out your linebacker room on day three. So special teams, coverage ability, leadership, two-time captain. Really tough background with you know the discus and the high school running back. Um he's a guy, DeMarco Jackson. Don't forget about him on draft day.
1: It's like T.J. Edwards, right? Where T.J. Edwards, when you look at him from a just off the hoof, you would say, oh, that, that guy's not a, a coverage player. But T.J. Edwards at Wisconsin, so instinctive, did an outstanding job in coverage, played the ball well, but read routes, felt things developing around him, uh, and f- f- because of that was really, really productive. And what, what have we seen from him whenever he's played in the NFL? He's made plays in coverage. He, he's clogging up passing lanes, uh, making plays on the football, and I think that's a great point there on DeMarco Jackson, who you also, Ben, uh, could have talked about here in this upcoming category, and that is the best best. best at playing through contact who is the, the whether it's playing downhill or in uh, traffic sideline to sideline who does the best playing through contact and for me ben i'm going to talk about a guy that you actually already brought up a little bit a little bit ago in troy anderson from montana state and as you mentioned you said look he's probably right teetering on that early day three late day two range and when i look at, at anderson coming out of montana state you mentioned six three and a half 243 pounds he goes to the combine he runs four four he has the best 10 yard split of any linebacker drafted in the last decade he Goes 128 inches in the broad jump, and those those measurables, they look at how explosive a player is, and if you've got explosiveness with size and girth, which Troy Anderson has at 243 pounds. That's typically going to equate to power, and we saw that at the senior bowl, how quickly he was able to get through contact, especially playing sideline to sideline. You're trying to block this guy. It's not happening on the perimeter. I think Anderson, when you look at it, he's got to get some things right from a technical standpoint. As Ben mentioned, he's got to see things a little bit faster as he gets a little bit more comfortable playing the position. But I think when you look at his height, weight, speed, his ability to defeat blocks, defeat contact, Really, really impressive. So, uh, Troy Anderson, he's my pick here in terms of being able to play through contact. Uh, Dane, who you like here for this category?
0: Uh, for me, the first name that came to mind was Leo Chanel from Wisconsin. Uh, his contact balance downhill is something that's really, really impressive. Maybe the most impressive thing that he does uh, fights through bodies, squeezes uh, gaps, uh, really good short area quickness so he can stay centered, and, but also change directions. Um, and the toughness that he offers uh, is just he's so gritty and competitive uh, at the point of attack so um, Leo Chanel when he's working downhill he there's just a lot of different ways that he could be productive whether it's because of that contact balance whether it's the the quickness that he offers whether it's the power and the strength uh, the toughness it's just uh, he's got a a full package of traits to offer as a downhill player Uh, and that's why we're talking about Leo Chanel is a you know, a possible top 75, top 50 type of player. Uh, he's just, he's really impressive uh, in that area.
1: Yeah, that's definitely one of the strengths of his game. And uh, Ben, uh, for people that aren't can't see you right now, you were uh, upset. I think that was your pick there for day three. And again, that kind of speaks to where Chanel is right now. Draft stock-wise, uh, that late day two, early day three range, potentially. Uh, who do you like here for the third day of the draft?
2: Yeah, I got sniped by Dane. It's been a couple of weeks since the uh, the sniping's been He's happening. He's not a but, day three guy, but I'm light on my feet here. It's okay; I can adjust and uh, you know make a quick change. I got sneaks on today, so I'm going to change directions. Let's go with Darian Beavers at Cincinnati, who is an absolute hulking linebacker. at 6'4", over two hundred and fifty pounds, but plays in space and plays the Mike will and will drop into the curl. will buzz out to the flat with over seven hundred special team snaps. He's a guy with. His size absolutely tears through these poor slot receivers trying to wall him off and, you know, uh, can easily get through blocks playing downhill. He has a really interesting play profile, played a lot of different spots for that Cincinnati defense since coming over from UConn, has really bulked up since high school and since UConn. He's an interesting player. Darian Beaver, 6'4", 250. He will absolutely play
1: through some contact for you. That's uh, definitely one of the best things about his game for sure. That versatility is going to be really valuable for him uh, moving through the rest of the process. Let's get to the next one here. Best blitzer who's just the best at getting after the quarterback Dane for day one, day two. Uh, who's the guy that comes to mind?
0: Channing Tindall from Georgia, uh, a guy with zero career starts on his resume, but ran a four, four, seven at the combine of 230 pounds, that speed, that uh, sea ball, get ball type of play style that he offers uh is is a lot of fun to watch and it's going to get him drafted somewhere on day two uh and you're going to see it the most on special teams and then as a blitzer because that that's where he can really shine uh he's explosive downhill he closes really well uh you think about all those studs on the georgia defense uh and he finished fourth on the team in sacks um and this is a guy that didn't start so you know he didn't necessarily play as many snaps as some other players Um, So the downhill closing skills uh, with what Channing Tindall offers, that's what gets you excited and why you can draft a player with his resume that feels incomplete, Uh, but you could draft a guy with that type of talent because you you see the speed and what he can offer. Dane, that's a great term there, downhill closing ability, because
2: we know he's fast in a linear fashion. But when you're blitzing at a high-end speed and coming downhill, that quarterback takes two steps left suddenly you're then behind the play. Their ability to change directions at that high speed and play so fluid is so impressive, whether it's Tyndall or N'Kobe Dean or even a Christian Harris. Some of these very explosive linebackers this class that can be fast and accelerate while moving and changing directions on the fly, you typically see that often with the QB spine and the blitzing. And Channing Tyndall does that as well as anyone in this class.
1: Uh, real quick, uh, for me in that same category, uh, Dane, you mentioned Devin Lloyd earlier, and this is the guy that's pro- projected by most to be a first-round pick uh, in this draft. And uh, for me, when you look at his blitzing ability, his ability to get after the quarterback, he's finished in the top three in sacks for the Utes uh, each of the past three years. He had seven sacks this year. He had three sa- or two sacks a year ago in five games. And he had six and a half sacks in that loaded Utah defense back in 2019. And uh, it's not just blitzing from the second level; they'll mug him up in a gaps, they'll line him up off the edge, just asking to beat tackles. Uh, so I think when you look at Devin Lloyd, some of the things that he can do from a pass rush standpoint that will definitely offer value moving into the NFL. Uh, Ben, take us home. Who's a, a blitzer you like here on the third day?
2: All right, two guys really fast, last three years in college football. This is the most pressures and the fifth most pressures among linebackers. The most, Micah McFadden, Indiana. He's a guy that typically flies downhill on third down, will blast the running backs. And fifth most, Terrell Bernard out of Baylor. Yeah, out of Baylor, excuse me. He's a guy that would often line up as a sub rusher and like the blitz as well, too. He doesn't have the length profile you would really want or maybe the, the insane speed or acceleration, but he's a really tough player, really athletic. And if he gets his hands on you, you're typically getting to the ground. So Terrell Bernard, Baylor, Micah McFadden, Indiana.
1: He's a sneaky player, Terrell Bernard, and honestly, it's kind of like Gemmel, where he's just, I think he's a little bit underrated. Uh, He's had a couple injuries over the course of his career, and so medical uh, is going to be a big deal for him. But a high character player, uh, you mentioned the versatility, that's going to be big for him moving into the NFL. All right, guys, let's uh, round this out with some player comps here. We've got a couple more categories, Uh, some player comparisons that we really like. Ben, I'll come to you first here. Who's a player comparison in this linebacker class that really catches your eye?
2: Well, let me hit you with two that I just talked about. We just said Terrell Bernard, Mike McFadden. Let me, you know, pick some comps for those two. Mike McFadden, Alex Anzalone. If you remember, he came out of Florida, I think a little injured as a prospect. Ended up having a nice career with the Saints, now with the Lions. Terrell Bernard maybe doesn't have the length profile we want. That's okay. We've seen a lot of linebackers survive at six foot, 225, 230 with their athleticism and toughness. I see a lot of Wesley Woodyard who is an outside linebacker out of Kentucky that played in the NFL for 10, 12 years. So Terrell Bernard, Wesley Woodyard, Micah McFadden, Alex
1: Anzalone. I like it. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go into the – you talk about Terrell Bernard. I'll stay in the Big 12. I'm going to go Kyron Johnson uh, from Kansas, who uh, was not invited to the Combine, but was down at the senior bowl. Was a late at down there uh, for Mobile. Six-foot, 230 pounds, so an undersized player, but played most of his snaps off the edge. So a really small pass rusher uh, that I think a lot of people project would be more of that, that stacked role that can come down and, and blitz off the edge uh, as a potential Sam or Rush player. And I think when you look at Kyron Johnson, he profiles very similarly to a guy that the Eagles just drafted last year on the in the seventh round, and that's Patrick Johnson. And I think when you look at Kyron, uh, look, he's going to offer rush value. right? It's third and long. You've got a guy that has the, the chops to be able to get after the quarterback and uh, give you value there, but he's got outstanding range. He's a good athlete. Uh, he chases to the perimeter. I love his effort. There's going to be some outstanding high-motor plays uh, when he gets on the field defensively. He's also uh, been a core special teamer over the course of his career, 415 core special team snaps uh, as a Jayhawk. So I think when you look at Chiron Johnson – uh, this is a guy that projects really well, front uh, in that kind of role in that mold. Uh, moving forward to the league, uh, Dane, who's a player comp that you like here from this linebacker group? Uh,
0: what about Leo Chanel and Jordan Brooks, uh, who you know sunk into the first round a couple of years ago? Uh, you know, the story on Jordan Brooks was you know really good downhill, uh, rangy. Um, you know, not the biggest player, and Chenal's got a little more size up to him. Uh, but I, I think that they both where they both win as players where their strengths are in terms of downhill having they got speed, they've got change of direction, uh, power, um, I think their strengths kind of align w- with what, what they can do so um, Leo Chanel Jordan Brooks one I didn't really expect that going in but I I, I don't hate it when I was done with my report.
1: Uh, especially my, the athletic measurables.
0: So that's the my big... my comp section for Leo Chenal is all over the place.
2: Yeah, I watched right. him like five different times and got like five different tastes of what I thought he can be. I wrote down Dante Hightower, AJ Hightower. Hawk one day, Zach Bond one day, Andy Katzenmoyer one day. I wrote down <laughs> Zach I wrote down Zach Diosti one day. Okay. So I got all sorts of comps and heights, weights, speeds, converted long snappers. I don't know what to do with this kid, but he's a freak
1: athlete. He's tough and he's big. The, the high tower one hit me on there over the head like as soon as we turned it on. Just in terms of how he could be used and the body type, uh, but obviously the testing uh, much different than that. So a uh, really interesting player from that standpoint. Uh, guys, let's wrap it up with some. Some players are just flying under the radar. We'll start uh, with the guys who were just surprised is just not getting more love. Ben, I'll come back to you here. Who's the guy that you're surprised is just is not getting more love at this point in the process? Everybody
2: I've mentioned up to this point.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, the DeMarco Jacksons of the world, the
2: Darian Beavers, you know, Terrell Bernard, a lot of these day three guys uh, that I'm kind of talking and highlighting in this podcast so far. They aren't really dominating the conversation right now. You know, it's a top of the draft world as far as, you know, draft narratives and media coverage. Everyone's know the first round mocks in your top 50s and maybe a top 100 if you're looking for it. Day three doesn't get a lot of attention, but there's four rounds on day three. These are the positions that fill out your rosters. These are the positions that get thrusted into lineups you know, on the drop of a hat, you know, in week 10 when there's an injury and you want them to perform. Don't forget this draft is more than just the first round and the first two days. So there's a lot of guys that are going to go on day three. It's okay to start talking about them early. So Darian Bernard, you know, Micah McFadden, Jeremiah Gemmel, those guys are going to play on NFL teams.
1: All right, well, for me, I'm going to go with Malcolm Rodriguez from Oklahoma, a player we have not spoken about yet, uh, or from Oklahoma State, rather. I think the big thing when you're looking at Rodriguez – uh, it's going to come down to how important size is for you uh, at the linebacker position because he's 5'11 with just over 30 inch arms. All right. And you say, uh, it's not, what do we always say on the pod? It's, it's not a problem until it's a problem. And I think when you look at Malcolm Rodriguez, he's got 48 starts under his belt, over 3,000 snaps played on defense, extremely productive across the board. He's a, a freak athlete. He ran four five. He's got a 1'5, uh, 10 yard split. He went 39 and a half in the vert. Uh, that athleticism shows up on film. He's got outstanding range. He's got burst. To close on the football, a converted safety who's got that ability to play in coverage, he's got a feel for playing in reverse. He can man up on backs. He's a little bit small to man up on tight ends, but he's got that matchability and he defeats contact really well in the Big 12, right? He's got a surprising ability to defeat those blocks. If you think that carries over to the NFL, Malcolm Rodriguez is going to be a day 2 pick. If you don't think that carries over, that's where that's where you have questions about his ability to translate. So I think when you look at Malcolm Rodriguez, the skill set really 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 intriguing i think the film is really fun uh and he was only at the at the nfl pa game uh, i was surprised he didn't, it didn't end up at a bigger game he was at the combine got dinged up halfway through the workout but malcolm rodriguez if you if you take away the size i think there's a lot to like uh with his film uh dane uh, who's a guy that you would fit this category for you
0: If you did not say Malcolm Rodriguez, I would have. I think that's a a great pick. He's going to be he should be a mid round pick. He's he's that he's got that type of ability. Um, I'm going to go with uh, he's a little bit further down my my rankings, but still a player that I was pleasantly surprised with when I when I studied him. Uh, Nephi Sewell uh, from from Utah, who uh, the older brother of Pene Sewell uh, in that Sewell family. A former safety moved to linebacker. So, you know, a little bit of a tweener with a size five, uh, and a half 226 and shorter arms. That's what you worry about with him. But I, I think he's just a really good football player. You need to try and find a spot for him because the, the football IQ is there. Um, he's a guy that understands what the offense is doing. So he puts himself in opportunistic situations. Uh, the anticipation is awesome. The quickness is, is terrific uh he's got nfl intangible so uh nephi sewell is a player that i think should be drafted you just have to try to find that perfect spot for him in your defense
1: for me going into the next category here and it's along the same lines, but like that late round UDFA kind of sleeper to watch from that standpoint in the draft. Uh, I'll go with a guy that was not at the combine uh, in Sterling Weatherford from Miami, Ohio 6'3 and a half, 230 pounds converted safety. He was a safety with the Red Hawks throughout the course of his career now making that transitional linebacker. That's what he played down in Mobile. Uh, he did drop a little bit of weight from Mobile to the pro day. So we'll see if he's still kind of uh, trying to toe that line of whether or not he's going to play safety or not. But similar to, to Nate Gary, when he was coming out of Nebraska, uh, has that ability to come down and make plays at the second level. Uh, there are going to be questions about the arm length. Again, he's in the, on that shorter round. Uh, but this is a guy that's got the ability to bait throws and coverage, shows the ability to match routes. And uh, look, at the end of the day, if you can play in the past game at linebacker, that's going to hold up well, as long as you've got that ability to be able to play through contact. So I think Sterling Weatherford, uh, an interesting player, late rounds uh, to keep an eye on. Dane, uh, how about you? Who's a guy that uh, stands out for this category for you?
0: Uh, Darian Butler from Arizona state um, who is just consistently productive over his career uh, at Arizona state. He, he's a guy that's uh, you know, I, he has to overcome some of the shortcomings in terms of his size. He's not a big guy; he's 5'10, 220 pounds. Um, I, I wonder about his speed, but he's just, he's quick to process. Um, I, I think he, he's quick to react to what he sees and so there's there's something to work with there. Um, there's a reason he's in the later rounds or as a PFA, but I wouldn't be surprised if he finds a roster spot and is able to survive in the NFL.
1: How about uh, you, Ben? Uh, who do you like here? Last
2: one. Take us home. You know, I'll kind of go off the narrative of yours with the guy changing positions and Sterling Weatherford. Yep, This is a guy that's getting a little bit buzzed uh, with some NFL scouts as far as changing positions as well. And that's Colby Harvell-Pell at Oklahoma State. Yeah, it's a great one. So he's kind of a nickel safety, but in a very thick, squatty profile. I think he measured in at six foot, just under 210 at the combine, put up 21 reps in the bench press to show off that core strength. It's a guy that I've always had written down, Adrian Amos and Michael Lewis, as comps. Guys you want flying downhill, sticking their nose in the run game. This is a really tough player, a four-year starter, almost 3,000 snaps played, has really good coverage skills. Just maybe not the movement patterns you want as a back-end player, Look for him to maybe convert and be a sub-linebacker, maybe a, a base will guy, uh, or maybe just like a dime type of piece for a, for a certain unit. But Colby Harvell-Pell, his position may not be solidified yep. just yet.
1: No, that's a good call. He worked out with the safeties in Indy, but uh, a lot of people view him as a potential linebacker moving forward uh, to the NFL. Real quickly, guys, well, the only big-name player I feel like we didn't hit on uh, was at the Senior Bowl as a redshirt junior, went to the Combine, uh, tested pretty well out there in Indianapolis, that's Brian Asamoah uh, from Oklahoma. Dane, I'd love to come to you and just get your thoughts uh, on Asamoa and how you view him transitioning uh, to the NFL. Has played linebacker over the course of his career. I, I think you, if you squint, you can see flashes of like a Patrick Queen-style player in terms of the strengths and weaknesses, right? Queen obviously went late first round. I don't think that's going to be in the cards here for, for Asamoah. Uh, but how do you feel about his transition to the NFL?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's, that that makes a lot of sense. Let the Sooners and tackles uh, each of the last two years. Uh, he, he's a guy that has foot speed. Uh, ran a four five six at the combine. He's undersized, six foot, two hundred twenty six pounds, uh, but a, a guy that can still work downhill. Uh, he can play outside the numbers. He has range. He can drop and cover. Uh, you do worry about him at the point of attack, just getting engulfed and being taken out of the play. But for a guy that's six foot two twenty six, has decent arm length. He, he's just under thirty three inches in terms of his arms. And so I think he can get better at taking on contact. So you have to reconcile just being a little undersized, a little underpowered. But again, sideline to sideline speed, dependable tackler. He's got upside in coverage and has a take on player. Um, he, he's that classic run and chase linebacker with NFL starting potential.
1: Yeah, he's a really intriguing player because of that skill set. And he's going to check a lot of boxes for some people. Uh, All right, guys, we talked about a ton of players already. Uh, We're going to pick three more here in our next segment. One of my favorites. It's time now to go on the clock.
2: Eagles fans, Merrill Reese here to tell you about the Eagles
1: Autism Challenge presented by Lincoln Financial Group. This annual Ride, Run, Walk event supports autism research and programming as we work hard every day to advance the
2: conversation from awareness to action. This year's event will take place on Saturday, May 21st at Lincoln Financial Field. With your support, we can help transform the lives of individuals affected by autism. Register today at eaglesautismchallenge.org.
0: On the clock.
1: All right, guys, every week we go on the clock where uh, every single week, Ben, Dane and I, we get assigned uh, random teams, random positions and random parts of the draft. And it's up to us to kind of uh, find a player, find that that fit at a perfect part of the draft for the team that we give assigned. So uh, I'll start here because I got assigned a team for the first round of the draft. We'll start at the top of the draft. For me, uh, I got si- assigned the Tennessee Titans here. Uh, wide receiver in round one. So that's definitely something uh, that is in the cards. The team acquired Robert Woods here uh, this this offseason. Uh, they parted ways with Julio Jones. You still have A.J. Brown but definitely uh, could see them addressing wide receiver early in this draft. So when you look back at John Robinson and what he has done as the general manager over the last few years, there's definitely some, some things that you could point to some breadcrumbs here to be able to follow i would say one thing age matters. They've only drafted one guy that's been older than 22 years old as a day one or day two pick. And that was Kevin Dodd in one of his first drafts, uh, John Robinson. Obviously that pick did not go well. So uh, a lot of younger seniors uh, that have been taken by this organization over the last couple of years on first and second day uh, of the draft. Next thing, size matters. They definitely tend to trend bigger. If they go small, it's because they're extreme uh, athleticism or extreme speed guys like Adore Jackson and Darrington Evans and Jayon Brown, right? So early in the draft, Definitely trend a little bit bigger. They're not afraid of one-year starters and guys that boomed in just that final season. Small schools are okay. Nearly a third of John Robinson's picks on days one and two have come from the group of five. You look at Corey Davis and Taewon Taylor and Johnnie Smith. I mentioned Darrington Evans earlier. So uh, they're definitely not afraid to go outside the power five to find their high picks. And they're also not afraid of uh, medical and character red flags. We've seen them take those chances uh, really on a yearly basis here high up in the draft. Some have worked and some have not. Now. With all of that in mind, I kind of painted out, all right, here are the, who are the receivers that we're talking about here in the first round of this draft? And Traylon Burks uh, from Arkansas, he's a big body. He's 22 years old. He fits the bill. Drake London, 22 years old, big body, had the one-year blow-up. He fits the bill. Chris Olave, 22 years old, 4'3 speed, so he's got the lack of size, but that's okay because of how he ran. Also, keep in mind Mike Vrabel and his connection to Ohio State, right? So he's going to have a little bit more information there. You would say the same thing about Garrett Wilson, maybe a little bit more comfort if one of those two guys falls to him uh, later in the first round. Uh, Jamison Williams, they're not afraid uh, of that medical red flag there. Jahan Dotson, 22 years old with that 4'4 speed. Even Christian Watson at 20s he's a little bit older but he's got the the height weight speed right so uh, a lot of options there guys i'm gonna go chris olave i I think that of these of these guys uh he might have that best chance to be able to get to the the late teens early 20s uh make himself make himself available there for tennessee but uh dane i'll come to you i'm interested to kind of get your thoughts Uh, of the guys available do you feel like that's a fit
0: yeah and i think the ohio state connection definitely makes sense um and i think it's also key to what you said um it, 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 who's going to be there? Cause you know, the exactly. Titans, they're, they're picking at what 26. And so it, it, that, that makes it tough. I, Cause I think Chris Olave would be perfect at 22 to the Packers or uh, you know, somebody the saints at 18, like there, there's a few line landmines in front of them where I could see Olave being a perfect fit, but it is very realistic that he would still be there at 26 because there's, there's some limitations to his game. I, I think you look at him as a, a number two uh, and not a true number one receiver in the NFL. And with, you know, AJ Brown, obviously in the fold, uh, you know, you think that he could come in and give you what maybe a little bit something different than AJ Brown, and I think he hits a lot of those thres- thresholds. So, where are they are picking and what they look for that makes sense?
1: Yeah, uh, I think if one of those bigger, bigger guys, Traylon Burks, Drake London, were to fall to that point, uh, i would be a slam dunk. Ben, uh, any thoughts there in terms of the the players that I, I had in the pool, or uh, you know, any of those guys really kind of strike to you as being a good scheme fit there for Tennessee?
2: Yeah, I like Olave. I think that's a really good pick. I think that's going to be right in his landing kind of ballpark. I like his complementative skill set with, you know, uh, Robert Woods and uh, for now, A.J. Brown. I know some rumors about him potentially uh, moving teams and uh, getting shuffled around. But I think adding speed and uh, adding someone that can win over the top seems to be the right type of piece to add that offense. End of the day, Fran, you're a hopper of guys here, whether it's Wilson or Jameson Williams, Jahan Dotson, you know, Olave, Burke, Drake, London add good players to your receiver room and figure yeah. it out later. So you want to add talent, playmaking ability. Those guys are all checking those boxes. That's why they're in this conversation. So now it's just getting into, you know, maybe who fits the locker room, who fits the scheme a little bit more. Chris Olave certainly looks like a shoe-in fit there.
1: All right, well, let's get to uh, your pick here, Ben, because uh, you've got the the Tampa Bay Bucks, who, who was who uh, the, I drew for you uh, last Friday. You've got the cornerback position round three. So third round. Corner for the Bucks, definitely something that meshes well uh in terms of what their needs could be moving here into this draft.
2: Yeah, Bucks round three. Okay, we have Bruce Arians, Todd Bulls, Jason Like regime all back. Um, our mainstay corners we have Carlton Davis, Jamal Dean, Murphy Bunting has kind of been sliding inside. He's more of a backup though on the outside. We brought in Logan Ryan again, more of a safety nickel type. We've lost Richard Sherman, Pierre Desir, Uh, from last year, probably won't be bringing back those types, but, uh, we're certainly okay in this part of the draft with underclassmen as we spent, you know, capital in the same area of the draft on Davis, Bunting and Jamal Dean, all redshirt juniors. I'm fairly certain. Uh, they all have really good size. They're all over a little over 200 pounds for the most part, all with really good speed and all really tough. Yep. Um, and I think what people don't realize Todd Bowles plays a lot of zone coverage Only about 25% man coverage last year, and it's getting less and less each year. So you have a lot of guys with their eyes in the backfield, quarter scheme. You got to come up and tackle and be tough. So round three, who am I thinking of with size, speed, and toughness? I'm thinking Martin Emerson, or we call him MJ Emerson now, whatever. Uh, DK Kendrick, Darian Kendrick from uh, Georgia via Clemson. Damari Mathis, Cam Taylor Britt, Kobe Bryant. I think it's those five I'm kind of thinking about right here. Um, I think we want someone a little bit more athletic and speedy profile than a Kobe Bryant. So we're gonna rule him out. I'm really looking at Damari Mathis and Cam Taylor Britt. Yep. I think enough. they both tested much better than I expected, Fran, pushing into the sub four fours. And tough guys that have to come up and uh, contribute and run support and protecting the flat quite often, uh, particularly Damari Mathis in that Narduzzi quarter scheme. He's really left on islands out there. It's not easy uh, for that scheme. But I'm actually going to go with Cam Taylor Britt here out of Nebraska, who well, I think will slide in just at the end of day two. I think it's going to be a big run on cornerbacks in the second round. And these five should be sitting here in round three for the Bucks. So I think Cam Taylor Britt would be a really nice addition out there who does remind me a little bit of a Carlton Davis type coming out of Auburn. Um, a little stiffed hip, a little bit clunky in transitions, but he has the size. He has the toughness, has the speed, and is still a, a young growing kid. So I think Cam Taylor Britt would be a nice piece there for Todd Bulls' defense.
1: I, I love the fit. I, I love the the reasoning behind it. Everything there uh, makes a lot of sense. I, I love that one. Um Dane, let's round it out uh, with yours. You've got the uh, the Washington commanders here. Day two was the area of the draft that you drew. So you can go round two, round three. You've got quarterback. So if they decide that they want to go QB, which, uh, by the way, uh, we had uh, North Carolina's pro day today with Sam Howell. Uh, Washington, well-represented there. Really, they've been well-represented at all these quarterback pro days. So uh, definitely something that's still potentially in the cards there for Washington. Uh, who do you like here in this one?
0: Well, okay, Scott Turner's offense. Uh, we know – Uh, like to run a lot of RPOs, Um, you know, Carson Wentz now in the fold as the starting quarterback, but you want to get someone behind him that you can develop? Um, And it's important that, you know, they're okay. We're talking about day two here. Um, So, you know, for this exercise, we'll say Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis are off the board. Um, Now I, if every other quarterback's available, I think that you could make a case for Matt Corral here as being a, a really good fit uh stylistically for that offense um but I think that with the state of their franchise and they I, I know there's some question marks with Corral off the field and just maturity wise things like that so maybe I'm gonna go with Desmond Ritter here um I I think a guy with Desmond Ritter uh kind of guy even looks like Carson Wentz a little bit you know kind of tall lean uh you know has he's a good athlete. Uh, you know, you could really take Ritter's combine numbers and compare them favorably. to any wide receiver, uh, in this class. It's, it's kind of, uh, I don't think that got enough attention with, with how Ritter tested. So he has the athleticism. He's a guy that's been around four-year starter Cincinnati. He's a winner. He's got the self-confidence that you're looking for. Uh, I think he could come in and be a a solid backup and a guy that you could see eventually, uh, you know, winning that quarterback job and, and being a natural fit in Turner's offense.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a, uh, an offense too. When you mentioned Scott Turner, like a lot of RPOs, but also, you know, in, in history, they like to push the ball downfield. They want to be a vertical offense. And so uh, Ritter definitely has the traits uh, to be able to handle that kind of scheme. Well, guys uh, always a fun exercise. Uh, appreciate your, uh, your cooperation. there. always a, a fun deal uh, to be able to do that on a weekly basis next week. It a big week. Uh, Dane, you mentioned Desmond Ritter there at the end, and the reason why I wanted to save the quarterback for the end is because we are previewing the quarterbacks next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. So all the guys that uh, we have been talking about all year long uh, in that position group, we're going to be breaking down right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, presented by LifeBrand.
2: Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag.
1: All right, good stuff there from Ben and Dane. Let's now transition to Draft Mailbag, where, again, uh, the best way to reach us is to head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, leave it there in the comment box, and we will get to it here in an upcoming show. We're going to start off with Lil bhb 5 who left a, a few questions here and just said, hey, I fell in love with the draft a few years ago. Your show is my favorite to listen to. You guys are the best. A couple questions for you. So we'll start with question number one. Last year, there was definitely a top tier of 12 to 15 players about how many tiers of talent-wise are there in this year's first round. It doesn't seem to be as strong a drop-off this year from the top into the middle of the first round. So uh, I would say Ryan, and Ryan is the name of the, uh, the commenter here, Ryan, I would say that, yeah, that, that is what most people feel uh, about this draft is that it's not as top-heavy. When you get to the top end of round one into the top ten, the blue-chip players just aren't there. To me, I look at it a little bit differently. I still think that there's plenty of really good talent uh, in this class. Is it going to be as shiny or as exciting as uh, some of the other classes we've seen in recent years? No, because we're not talking about uh, quarterbacks consistently in the top five. We're not talking about some of these other positions that uh, a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, like this guy definitely is going to be a top five player, a top ten player uh, in this draft. But I think overall, the talent pool is still really, really good. And I think at the end of the day, when you talk to people around the league, when you talk to teams, um, you know, you'll, you'll hear the fact, oh, well, we only have – You know, 16, 17, 15, uh, 20 guys at most first round grades that we give out on a yearly basis. And that's why personally I struggle with the idea of saying uh, when I'm giving out a grade to a player, oh, yeah, he's a first round grade. He's a second round grade because that's going to mean something different every single year that's just the way my brain like wraps around uh that idea right so uh to me it's, it's easier for my brain to be able to look at it and say well what is this guy when he reaches the nfl uh i don't care about what, he, what he's drafted what is he when he gets to the league is he a starter is he a high impact starter is he a backup is he a role player is he a back-end roster player you have those different delineations uh to me that's a, an easier way for my mind to kind of wrap around the value uh, to different for different players of different areas uh, of the draft so next part of your question in what order do you see these players getting drafted? Jahan Dotson, Jaquan Brisker, and Arnold Ebicady. And these are all three players from Penn State. Jahan Dotson, wide receiver, Jaquan Brisker at safety, and Ebicady from uh, off the edge as a pass rusher. And to me, I would look at it and say, My best guess, I think Ebicady and Dotson are probably the first two off. I will go in that order. I'll say Cady number one. Jahan Dotson, number two. Really, really tight there. And Jaquan Brisker uh, kind of taking it up uh, at number three. And I think Brisker is probably off the board by the end of the second round, if I had to guess, right? So you're talking about all three of these players going in the top 64 picks. And then the third part of the question, do you see defensive ends dropping due to the depth of this position? Uh, To me – no, I don't I don't really think so because I think teams are always looking uh, for pass rush help. So I think when you look at uh, the defensive ends, those outside linebackers, those quarterback hunters, they're always going to go it's the same thing at quarterback every year, right? To me like where those guys are valued in 2022, that's where they would have been valued in 2020, that's where they would have been valued in 2018. If you're a pass rusher, yeah yeah, there's a cha- of course that you're going to see guys bump down a little bit, but they're not going to fall too far cuz everybody's looking for pass rushers. So if you're good, you're going to get drafted early. And so that's how I feel uh, overall about the pass rushers. Ryan, great stuff there. I really appreciate the three-part question. And then last one here, Burt2349 left a five-star review uh, with a mock draft. And as always, we are always going to break those down here uh, on the show, saying I love the podcast. You guys give so much great information on so many different prospects. Hands down, one of my favorite podcasts. I uh, really, really appreciate that comment. So, I had some time recently to go through some mock draft simulators. And some of the bigger simulator websites, I found that certain players – would always go higher, and then there are some that are consistently falling. Am I wrong on where some of these players should be going? Here's my mock draft. This is a mock that I can get pretty consistently, which seems pretty crazy to me. So real quick, we'll do it as we always do. Day one, day two, day three. This is an Eagles-only mock draft. Uh, round one, Jermaine Johnson, pass rusher from Florida State. Devontae Wyatt, the defensive tackle from Georgia. Andrew Booth, the cornerback from Clemson. That seems just about right. I think a lot of mock drafts, if you look at like the uh, the, the big names in the mock draft industry, most of them have Jermaine Johnson f- going off the board uh, by this point. It seems like Devontae Wyatt starting to get a little bit more juice for being off the board there in the middle of the first round. And Andrew Booth, that's right around where a lot of people have him going, anywhere from like uh, 12 to 25. Uh, somewhere in that range so that seems like uh, It's about right to me You get to day two A couple linebackers here uh, In Chad Muma And Damone Clark As we talked about earlier Clark probably not going to Go off the board At this point in the draft But Chad Muma at 51 That's right in the wheelhouse Of where a lot of people feel He's going to go in this draft And then you get to day three Oregon safety Verone McKinley Alabama corner Jalen Armour Davis, uh, Nebraska center Cam Jurgens. That would be the one guy I would say, yeah, he's definitely going to go a little bit earlier than pick 162. Uh, Tyson Anderson, the safety from Toledo, and then Jeffrey Gunter, the defensive end from Coastal Carolina. Uh, of those picks – I would say that uh, that Jurgens definitely the most likely to go on day two. I think McKinley has a shot to go late in day two. Uh, Tyson Anderson, uh, I think he's kind of like that under the radar sleeper guy that could sneak into the third round. Uh, just because when you look at uh, the how big he is and the way that he moves and the amount of football he's played, uh, you know that, can, that kind of skill set that can be tough to find. I think teams are looking for those matchup type safeties. Uh, Tyson Anderson might sneak into the back end uh, of the second day, but uh, all those other guys, I think that kind of fits. So I think from a uh, from a value. Standpoint, that's a really good job there uh, with that mock draft. I would say, when you're lo- talking about the, the simulators, again, you are. In a- all these simulator websites, they're all operated independently, right? So uh, for whatever company is running them, you are up to whoever is in charge of upkeeping you know, in terms of uh, draft status and uh, obviously some, you can use certain uh, people's big boards, you can use uh, PFF's big board, or you can use Dane Brugler's or anybody that has an updated top 100, you'll, you can use their boards. Um, so look, it, it all depends in terms of uh, what you're looking at. But uh, always a fun exercise to be able to go through and just kind of get a sense of how people view these processes. Aspects at this stage of the process great stuff uh, as always from Ben Fennel and from Dane Brugler as I mentioned earlier uh, we'll be breaking down the quarterbacks next week here in this uh, position preview episode but we'll be back later this week uh, excited for uh, the trio of guests including Greg Cosell Ben Fennell will be back as always right here later this week on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Lifebrand